This episode of New Politics was released on the 20th of November, 2021, and produced on the land of the Wangal people. Welcome to the New Politics Podcast. In this episode, the attacks on the ABC from News Corporation and the Liberal Party continue, and a response from the Prime Minister about the Melbourne protesters. It's all about understanding people's frustrations. I'm Eddie Djokovic, editor of New Politics. I'm David Lewis, mining magnate and media owner. Thank you to all of our new Patreon subscribers and thank you for your continuing support. And if you would like to support our little venture, the details are available at our website, newpolitics.com.au, and it's a very good way to support independent journalism. The ABC continues to be attacked by the Coalition. This time it's a Senate inquiry into the complaints processes after the ABC announced it had not upheld any of the complaints made by News Corporation relating to an episode of Four Corners in August this year. And that's an episode which explored Fox News and its role in promoting right-wing propaganda and destabilising democracy in the United States. Now, there shouldn't be any real debate about this because that's exactly what News Corporation is doing and that's exactly what they're now trying to do in Victoria. We are seeing that clear link between Rupert Murdoch and his influence in Australian democracy. Now, if News Corporation has a problem with the ABC, it does have a right to complain about this and use its own resources to do it. But they've decided to use the Liberal Party and Parliament to do the work for it, with Senator Andrew Bragg setting up a snap Senate inquiry about the ABC's complaints processes. And they'll report back to Parliament by February 2022. So this is a case where Rupert Murdoch snaps his fingers, the Liberal Party jumps into action on his behalf. This is not the way the democratic system should operate. And it's just another step in the conservative takeover of the ABC. It's quite interesting that they hate the ABC so much because they also try and use it as a as a mouthpiece. Whether they're successful in that or not is a matter for another debate. I really think it's inappropriate when they go to commercial stations continually or Sky News. Now, I am in two minds about this a little bit because why shouldn't the commercial stations get government messages? Not everybody watches the ABC all the time and not everybody should watch the ABC all the time. It should be about spreading out the programming so that everyone in Australia has something to watch at some point. They don't understand, I don't think, what the ABC is about. Murdoch, I think, has a very similar attitude to Kerry Packer, who really saw the ABC as competition and couldn't see why people would watch it and couldn't see why people should watch it. All he sees it as is eyes away from his own media. The government listens way too much, of course, to Rupert Murdoch, although, of course, he put a lot of them there. And whoever pays the piper pays the tune. And he's paid a fair bit of money to hear exactly the the music he wants to hear. Well, the future's not looking so bright for the ABC at the moment. Since 2013, the ABC has received cutbacks of 
$783 million. And there are several state divisions of the Liberal Party who have voted to privatise the ABC. And privatising the ABC is also a core policy item of the Institute of Public Affairs. The Liberal Party will more than likely privatise the ABC if it does win the next election. The ABC started off as the Australian Broadcasting Commission in 1932, and then it changed to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. So we might end up seeing the Australian Broadcasting Company in the not-too-distant future if the Liberal Party does win the next election. And I think the Labor Party, well, that might have given up on the ABC as well. Each and every election it comes out to support the ABC, a promise of increased funding, but then it gets no political benefit from doing this. And it's probably realised that campaigning on behalf of the ABC doesn't actually bring any additional electoral support to the Labor Party is probably not going to expend too much political resources. And I'd say that if the Labor Party does win the next election, it's probably going to reform the ABC to fit into the changing media landscape as well. And the ABC does need to change. Free-to-air television is a dying industry. It's got an ageing demographic as well. It probably needs to be more innovative in the streaming and downloading part of mainstream media. And one criticism of the ABC pushed forward by conservative MPs and News Corporation is, and you referred to this before, that it's invading the space of commercial media. And a few weeks ago, I was actually channel flipping and I saw Death in Paradise. And that's a lightweight BBC murder mystery comedy that was being broadcast on the ABC. And then at the same time, Death in Paradise was being broadcast on Channel 7.2. Now, it was a different episode. There's also Breakfast News, which seems to be a less offensive version of the Today program on Channel 9 and Sunrise on Channel 7. But the ABC does need these kinds of programs to attract different audiences to watch or listen to other parts of the ABC. But is the ABC becoming too much like commercial television? I think it is. And I think you still get this. I was about to say it used to be that the ABC had quality television. It still does. And it still has quality radio shows. I haven't seen a lot of its online thing, although I stream regularly, to be quite honest. I would rather watch shows at the time of my convenience rather than the time that the broadcasters tell us that we should watch them. And that's one of the great advantages to streaming. Back when it was all Kerry Packer and Murdoch and the various chairs of the ABC, they determined, or the organisations determined, when you saw Program A, Program B. The video recorder changes this a little bit, of course, and then uh, smart boxes, Telstra boxes change that again. You could record them. Now with streaming... You can watch it whenever you like, as many times as you like, more or less. Sometimes you have to pay. You haven't had to pay on the ABC or or any of the free-to-airs yet. That may be a model they bring in for certain premium shows. I think the ABC has been quite good in this. Their streaming service is pretty intuitive. It, It works pretty well. But it does sort of draw out the long, slow death of broadcast. I don't think broadcast will ever die because there are certain events that require live where the ABC has absolutely excelled is in bushfire management. People tune in to the ABC to find out what roads are closed, who's on stay and watch, who's on an evacuation, where are the fires coming from. So I'm not quite sure that we'll ever lose broadcast television in that kind of way. Other news events too. I've just picked the bushfires as as an example, but elections, etc. But I do think that we will move away from the the model of television. It'll it'll go onto our devices and onto our laptops, etc. 
is this a bad thing? I don't think it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's just the way that it goes. Well, you're absolutely right. The ABC does do a lot of good programming and there's essential services that it produces. There's a lot of regional radio programming that it does as well, and that's an essential part of the community in those areas. But I guess the other criticism of the ABC is, and this is coming from the other side of politics, and it seems to be that the ABC is angling more against the Labor Party and more keen to support the Liberal National Party's political agendas, seemingly using talking points provided by the Prime Minister's media team and going soft on the government when they actually really need to go hard. There's also that issue about, it could be claimed that bias is in the eye of the beholder, but according to this beholder, my eye suggests that many of the programs that do relate to news and politics produced by the ABC seem to be more favourable to the perspectives offered by the Liberal and National Parties, and that's 7.30, The Insiders, Breakfast News Q&A, there's also coverage on ABC Radio. They seem to be aggressively pushing against lockdowns in Victoria, and they've been doing that ever since the pandemic started. They're also pushing heavily against border closures in Western Australia and Queensland. There was no end to the many cafe and gym owners that they'd interviewed to rail against these policies in Labor states, but they were very quiet about the liberal states that had exactly the same policies. And just going through a little bit of the history there, they claimed that the anti-lockdown process in Melbourne several months ago, they were held by peaceful protesters and demonstrators when they were actually not. And this was just people venting their frustrations. And these seem to be dovetailing into federal government talking points. Now, if you're the head of the ABC or if you're in senior management, on a human level, you're trying to guarantee your funding, guarantee jobs at the ABC, and you're trying to do your best to keep on the right side of the government, which controls your funding. And you're just not going to die in a ditch to support quality independent journalism or news reporting if your main priority is to guarantee your funding. But for me, it, it seems like this policy of appeasement is failing. The ABC keeps diluting its editorial charter. It keeps trying to favour the federal government, but it keeps getting cutbacks. It keeps getting attacked by this federal government. It's likely to be sold off at the next federal election if this government is returned. We've got to remember, too, the ABC was set up by a non-Labor government, the Bruce government in 1932. It was funded right throughout the Menzies era. It was funded throughout the Fraser era. Now, Fraser starts cutting the ABC back, partly, I suspect, because they didn't like the fact that it was ABC journalists breaking some of the stories that weren't so favourable to the government, but mostly because Fraser had that small government idea about him. Uh, and with his treasurer, John Howard, they were quite happy to cut. Whitlam, of course, had expanded the ABC. And so, again, partly it wasn't just about getting those leftists off the screen, although I'm sure young journalists like George Negus and um, Mike Carlton and some of the others, I'm sure they would have been happy to see them less on screen, shall we say. It's really under Howard and the rise of this very, very, very small government libertarian movement that we start to see cuts to the ABC in, in major ways, cuts that really bleed the ABC in ways that stop it being as effective. And since 2013, we've seen attacks on the ABC for not just its news, but for some of its other shows. Kids shows seem to have become a battleground. There was some controversy on the show Blue. I've, I've not seen it. But it was either accused of being too tolerant or not tolerant enough. And 
why should our kids be exposed to this type of wokeness and that's educating their kids from the leftists at the ABC? Now, if you look at the board of the ABC, who at the very least drive the vision of the ABC, it's not a terribly radical board. Perhaps the staff elected representative may be leftish. The staff may have voted her in for a little bit of balance, but I don't know. And, and I'm not criticizing anyone's personal opinions or, you know, I'm just pointing out the board isn't a radical board designed to reform the media industry in such a way that we have a Pravda-like press or Pravda-like media. The last statistic I saw, this is a couple of years ago, but I don't think it would have changed much, is that when XABC personnel go into politics, it turned out that 50% went into Liberal and 50% went into Labor. My guess is that as an organisation, it's like every other organisation in Australia, a wide variety of views from the totally wrong to the ones that are correct, or at least the ones that we can agree with. The content should reflect this. And I think it's good that there is that split because we don't want a monolithic argument of this side is right, this side. We want discussion of of everything. They use it as a platform for the IPA. The drum was caught out a few years back, putting on way too many IPA members. And there's now, you have to declare if you're a member and who you're married to. and, And I think that is for the good. They bring in people on shows like Q&A whose main aim, I think, is to disrupt the conversation. When Q&A has a good panel, it's an excellent show, but often they have somebody who shouldn't be there, who's not an expert, who's not really up on, and whose main aim seems to be to derail the conversation. Well, I guess within those sort of discussions and debates, you do need to have a wide range of opinions there, and I guess that's what the ABC is trying to do. But essentially, this is all about an ideological push from the Liberal Party and from the Institute of Public Affairs as well. And if your long-term agenda, well, it seems like it's a short-term agenda now, but if the agenda is to privatise the ABC or sell it off, well, of course you attack it. You're not going to have a situation where an organisation that is doing so well and it's got a lot of community support and people wanted to have that within government ownership or public ownership, well, it's easy to sell that off or achieve your political agenda if you keep attacking it. If you keep saying, well, it's no good, it's horrible, and if you keep cutting it back, well, it's going to do a poor job. And that gives you an extra reason to privatise it and get rid of it. It's a similar approach that this federal government had with Australia Post as well. Australia Post was performing too well. Their agenda is to sell off Australia Post as well. And that's an another reason why they ended up getting rid of Christina Holgate last year. She was performing too well. Australia Post was performing too well. And it's hard to privatise or sell off an organisation if it's doing too well and if it's got too much public support. So this is just another ideological push by the Liberal Party and its affiliation with the Institute of Public Affairs to privatise the ABC. It's not going to privatise it if it keeps on saying how well it's doing. It's going to privatise it if it says, well, it's no good. It's been the whole argument since forever. Nick Greiner in New South Wales and Jeff Kennett in Victoria tried the whole selling off government departments, selling off and running them down. They take them over, they run them down, and then they say, oh, look, this isn't viable. We'll have to sell it to private enterprise, which is more viable. Often private enterprise isn't more viable and it's too expensive to take a rundown thing and build it back up to where private enterprise is happy to be making money. So then they tried the public-private thing, which basically meant that if infrastructural department made a loss, the government would wear that. If it made a profit, it would go to the private partners. 
we've said it many times, it's a failed model. To try it on the ABC is very dangerous electorally. The ABC is vital in country areas. The fact that we don't have state-based news anymore, and one of the little things we try and do here is to try and cover all states because we don't have those state-based news anymore. Local ABC news is really vital. They don't think past the big picture that somebody managed to slip onto a panel show and make a mild criticism of the government, and they say this is dangerous communism. Yet, knowing what's going on in your local area, knowing what's going on in your state, knowing what's going on federally is really important. Of course, they don't want you to know because a lot of these things are all tied together. Corruption at a, a local government level often has ties to the state government and, as we've seen, can have ties to the federal government. I'm thinking of the visa program run by Daryl Maguire, for example. They're running very dangerous territory and I think that they will lose a lot of their core voters if they take the ABC off them. You're listening to New Politics. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, listen through SoundCloud, Spotify and Amazon Audible, or find us at newpolitics.com.au, and you can now follow us at Patreon. Up next, how long does it take for a Prime Minister to condemn right-wing protesters? It's taken a full five days for Scott Morrison to come out and comment about the Melbourne anti-vaccination and anti-Victoria government protests last weekend. And that's probably how long it takes for spin doctors and wordsmiths to chisel out the right words to use, just so that Scott Morrison doesn't offend any of his key supporters in the electorate. Where we have disagreements, we don't handle them with violence. And there can be no tolerance for that. And there should be no tolerance for that. Um, no matter how frustrated people might be, that is never the answer, and uh, there needs to be uh, the respect shown uh, in those, those debates that we have. There has to be an appropriate balance and civility. Of course, there are many people who are feeling frustrated. I mean, over the last couple of years, governments have been telling Australians what to do. Now there's been a need for that as we've gone through the pandemic. But the time is now to start rolling all of that back. It's time for governments to step back and for Australians to take their lives back and for Australians to be able to move forward with the freedoms that should be theirs. That's certainly what we're doing as a federal government. This shouldn't be so difficult to do. Anthony Albanese has unequivocally condemned these protesters. So has the Western Australian Premier Mark McGowan, Ed Husich from South West Sydney and Senator Christina Keneally. But Morrison wants to keep these supporters on the side. As if to echo the sentiment of US President Donald Trump, he's almost saying that there are good people on all sides. We previously mentioned Australia is starting to travel down a dark tunnel that it might not find its way out of, but we'd expect to be pulled away from that by a national leader. But it's just not happening. And this is also being fueled by News Corporation in Melbourne. They've been hard at it for the past 18 months, and now they're misrepresenting pandemic legislation and causing unnecessary dissent. So now we've got that dreaded combination of an irresponsible federal government creating dissent and aided and abetted by an irresponsible news corporation. 
the second nooses appear, the second swastikas appear, the second anti-Semitic language appears, often encoded. That is the cue for any person in political leadership to say, enough, this is wrong and abhorrent. And if you lose votes, then really you should have been thinking about who your core constituency is. If you lose credibility, then that says more about Australia than it says about you, I think. That those Labor people, and there were Greens too, and independent candidates who all, and let's be fair, right-leaning independent candidates, who all condemned the protests is right and good. And there is a sense where it is better to go down with your honour and integrity intact than to scrape through and win an election based on the votes of people who we won the moral arguments about in 1945. And then we won the moral arguments against the other extremes in 1989 and 91. It's disgraceful. And then the mealy-mouthed, well, I kind of condemn the protests. Surely this is how one-eyed and silly they are. The second the nooses appeared, you'd think, okay, I don't like Daniel Andrews, maybe even hates Daniel Andrews. But surely what you want to happen to Daniel Andrews is for him to be voted out of office where he can't follow his policies and, from their point of view, do the damage that he's been doing to the state of Victoria. Well, it's also difficult to follow what the political reasoning for this is because it's not like the far right or people on the extreme edges of this right-wing lunacy. It's not like they're going to vote for the Labor Party. These are not Labor Party people. These are people from the right wing of society and they're going to support right-wing political parties. So to me, this doesn't entirely make political sense, but that's a matter for Scott Morrison. And, and of course, we had the media doing the work for Scott Morrison when he clearly hasn't done it. And they reported that Morrison had condemned the actions of the protesters when he actually had not. He never actually used those words but he did say that people are protesting in this way because they are frustrated and he understands their frustration and this approach of Scott Morrison understanding people's frustrations this approach goes all the way back to May 2020 when Morrison said that he understands the frustrations of people and the people that he's referring to are the people who were protesting against the initial lockdowns when the pandemic first commenced, claiming that coronavirus was a hoax caused by Bill Gates and 5G mobile transmission towers. And that's pretty much the full QAnon conspiracy agenda. It's probably better for a prime minister to just do the right thing. But this is Scott Morrison retreating to political and electoral safety. And these are Morrison's supporters, and he doesn't want to lose their votes. Again, you'd want to have a good hard look at yourself if your supporters are conspiracy nuts, Nazis, white supremacists, racists, surely... Any government wants to be in the centre. Now, all parties are going to have ratbags and, and lunatics and people who they probably would rather not have. So they try and control them, and when the control doesn't work, they kick them out. Surely he could have said something along the lines of, and I understand that some people want to protest, but I absolutely condemn Nazism. I absolutely condemn violence. I absolutely condemn everything else because he has framed it in such a way that nearly everyone there was reasonable. I don't think that's true. I don't know that any reasonable person went to the protest, even if they didn't like vaccinations. And that's a whole other debate. Even if they didn't like the Andrews government, I suspect a lot of people didn't go because they didn't want to be associated with 
the disgraceful white supremacists, the disgraceful conspiracy theorists, the disgraceful anti-Semitic talk, the imagery, some of the people who mightn't like the government in Victoria or the vaccination or the legislation, even though the legislation is pretty much identical in New South Wales, where we haven't had protests. I'm sure there's a lot of people who notice that too. If it's bad in Victoria, why isn't it bad in New South Wales? What is different between Victoria and New South Wales? And of course, in this case, nothing, except we have Dom Perrottet, liberal in New South Wales, and apparently only caught a fleeting glimpse of this. He rolled one of Brad Hazard, the health minister's attempts to extend the health mandate. But the attacks on the Victoria government and Daniel Andrews continue, and it just seems to be this never-ending process. And if it's not one thing... It's something else. First of all, it was the lockdowns. Then it was the mask mandate. And then it was the vaccine mandate. And then it was the lockdowns all over again. And this whole approach of, well, no one's going to tell us what to do. And the latest is the pandemic legislation. And some of that was filtering through to the anti-vaccine mandate process last week. And that's the Public Health and Wellbeing Amendment Act. And this is legislation that's actually been around since 2008. So it's been around for some time. But the legislative changes, the ones that are being proposed, they're fairly straightforward and uncontroversial. Essentially what it does is it transfers the health orders from the Chief Health Officer over to the Premier of Victoria. And it's also codifying some of the necessary actions that do need to be taken during a pandemic and that were taken over the past um, 18 months during the pandemic. So this should not be a controversial piece of legislation. And just as a comparison, it's the health minister in New South Wales, Brad Hazard, he's the one that's got the health orders. So he's he's a politician and it's not the chief health officer in New South Wales. And essentially what is being proposed in Victoria already exists in New South Wales. And as you referred to before, no one seems to be complaining about that. And it's also another case of the media telling people what the legislation is not and then creating outrage from this. There was a front page news item in a News Corporation newspaper uh, this week outlining one couple from Warrnambool who said that they would close their cafe in protest if the Victoria legislation was passed. Well, you know, go ahead and do that if you want to. But there's also a clause in the legislation that there are powers that can be implemented in Victoria, even if the pandemic doesn't exist in Victoria. And that would be on the basis of an outbreak occurring in Sydney or somewhere else and Victoria being able to lock down or close off the border to New South Wales quickly and efficiently. And this whole issue was being amplified by the media to suggest that Victoria could lock down even if there was an outbreak in Romania. So why they chose Romania, I'm not too sure, but maybe they just threw in a bit of Eastern European (laughs) racism just to amplify the effect. And I'll say this about the New South Wales one too. None of it seemed terribly unreasonable. Of course, a state should be able to close down its border for a health issue. Now, I know that some of them are saying, oh, but they'll shut it down for other things. Well, if it's to stop the spread of white supremacy and Nazism, again, an argument that we settled once and for all in 1945, perhaps I'd be in favour of that too. But we seem to have forgotten the value of health. COVID-19 is a highly virulent disease. It can be deadly. And I know that the latest conspiracy is that people don't die of it, they die with it. No, people actually do die of it. And it's a small percentage, but one mutation and suddenly we've got a 25 or 30 or even 80% death rate. This is why we've gone so hard against it, except in New South Wales. 
because all the other states, including Marshall in Liberal government in South Australia and Gutwein Liberal government in Tasmania, have understood that there's not a lot of risk we can play with here and it's better to shut everything down till we know that it's under control. The Berejikli and Perrottet government tried to take a different approach and it didn't work for the longest time and it may be working now but it cost us three months of a pretty brutal lockdown. These laws, provided they're kept to health and I'm positive they will be because you don't want to stop trade, you don't want to stop tourism, you don't want to stop business between the states. There's no reason to. And even the most radical of the governments don't want to do that. Not that any Australian government is that radical, but okay. We need to be sure that we are protecting our population, our community, our society, and we should be doing that properly. Now, David, you and I keep saying this, but Australia needs federal leadership at this point of time. And yes, it has been provided on some level during the pandemic over the past 18 months, and that's primarily been through income support from the federal government. But initially, when all of this commenced, we were told that during the pandemic, politics was going to be left behind at the door. And that seems to be another one of Scott Morrison's lies. Politics has been at the front and centre during this pandemic. And with an election coming up over the next six months, it's going to be even more ridiculous behaviour and even more ridiculous political games than what we've seen in the past. It's been politics from day one. They botched the payments, really. For those who got it, that's fantastic, and I'm really happy for those who got it. But foreign companies being able to pay extra director's bonuses and shareholder's bonuses was just incredibly stupid. Companies who took millions and millions of dollars in JobKeeper payments didn't pass it on to their workers and then ended up posting a billion-dollar profit should never have been the point. And again, I want to stress, not all. Some companies acted properly, stood their staff down, paid them JobKeeper, kept them going, and that really is to be commended. But some companies pocketed the cash and aren't going to do anything. There is a lack of will within the government to chase and get the cash back. And when you look at what the slightest overpayment of unemployment benefits, the trouble you will get into for that, it shows the priorities of the government in a very bad way. That's it for this new politics podcast. Thanks for listening in. If you'd like to support our style of journalism and commentary, please make a donation at our website at newpolitics.com.au. We don't beg, plead, beseech or gaslight you about journalism coming to an end. We just keep it very, very simple. If you like what we do, please send some support our way. It helps keep our commitment to independent journalism ticking along. I'm Eddie Djokovic. Thanks for listening in and it's goodbye to our listeners. I'm David Lewis. We'll see you next time.